on this show a bit more Strava stalking as we follow the break and build up for the first 16 weeks of Seb Kuss's 2021 season. Following his training from the last stage of the Welter in 2020 on November 8 until the end of the UAE Tour on February 27, 2021. It's a fascinating look at a rider who is on the up and up and on a good day can match it with the best in the world. Yo-ho and welcome back to Ride Better Faster, a show about cycling training and racing. I'm Damien Roos. Before we get going, I just want to say that with any data that is completely out of context, there are always a lot of assumptions that need to be made. And what I'm presenting here is the data of a rider as I see it. But there are many things I've had to make a call on, many guesses from thresholds to training intentions. So take this for what it is. A look at what it takes day in, day out to prepare for a long season of racing as one of the world's best Grand Tour climbers. On November 2020, the peloton rolled into Madrid for the final stage of the Vuelta España. In the peloton was one of the breakout riders of the year, Seb Kuss of Team Jumbo Visma, a highly visible rider in the big mountain stages of the Tour and the Vuelta and this was his last day of racing for 2020. It wasn't long before Seb was back on the bike after taking a short break. In fact, it was eight days later when his first ride of the 2021 campaign showed up on Strava. And this is in contrast to the standard 14 to 30 days some riders will take off. But even considering the compressed back end of the 2020 season, you have to go back to 2017 to find him doing things differently with no weeks off the bike. Maybe back then in 2017, he was pumped about just signing with Jumbo Visma and wanted to be in the best shape come the new year. In 2018, he has one week off the bike completely and then there's three weeks of minimal running, riding and biking. So this week off, even though it's a bit later than in the past, is not out of the normal. It seems like this guy just loves to ride. And when he's back into it, it's more general, unstructured aerobic sessions in the form of running, riding and mountain biking. So from November 16 to December 14, it's what I'm calling a transition period. Keeping things ticking over gently and doing something pretty much every day and you're looking at 12 and a half, 11 and 10 hours each week respectively and then a training to train week of 16 hours where he's starting to get ready for the real stuff. It's on December 14 that the general preparation or base phase seems to start and goes on for four weeks before an easy week leading into a team training camp. So starting with the week of this phase, it's all climbing and Ks. 428 kilometers, just short of 19 hours. The longest ride is four and a half hours and the only structure that I can see is four by six minutes at 70% of FTP on a double session day and a random five minutes testing the legs out at 55 RPM at 77% of FTP. There's one day off the bike completely, but it's a good start. And as soon as I saw this week, and this technically was his start, I thought it was incredibly hilarious because this already eclipses most amateurs' biggest weeks of the year. Week two of this base phase sees a large step up in terms of total hours and structured work, with four days having some sort of structure. After a full day off the bike on Monday, a light hour on Tuesday, on Wednesday there's a four-hour ride with two sets of six by six seconds at 160% of FTP, with two minutes off at 55% FTP, and the last 40 seconds of that rest are at 50 RPM. 
Six second sprints are a hit type six, so they target high neuromuscular recruitment without taxing the aerobic or anaerobic systems. Normally, if you're trying to get the maximum adaption from this, you would have passive recovery with at least five minutes. But Seb goes straight into two minutes of active recovery, and the last 40 seconds of this two-minute recovery is done at 50 RPM. This type of session is a real mix of neuromuscular madness, and pretty similar to a session I've seen Ben O'Connor do on a YouTube vlog, Tristan Take Video, Season 1, Episode 5, where Ben did four by six minutes with one and a half minutes at 75% in a big gear and 30 seconds accelerating too fast. The next day for Seb is the first five-hour ride of the 2021 campaign, and it actually shakes out at five and a half hours and some more talk work. This time, it's a steady state effort of 38 minutes at 60% of FTP, where cadence alternates 15 seconds at 55 RPM and then one minute at 70 RPM for the entire 38 minutes, which is the length of the climb. And this is a common trend that I see in Seb's training, most likely because he's self-coached, but it can also be personality-based. I've noticed other successful athletes that are self-coached ride in similar ways. Instead of planning a structured overload, They'll use their natural environment and make up for the missing calculated progression by doing the work they do in training either very well, very often, or just doing more than other riders. No right or wrong here. It's more about what can keep you making gains by being consistent on the bike. Because the biggest thing here, if you've got a coach but you end up cracking because of the type of work they prescribe or it doesn't fit your personality or schedule, you're going to be worse off in the long run. And then it comes down to being consistent week after week and year after year. I'm going to touch on this in the Science of Fast segment because the message of what consistent means in the context of training is an important idea to understand. But anyway, let's keep going. The next ride is close to two hours and pretty much a free ride, but I'll let him off as it was Christmas Day. It was straight back to work on Boxing Day and the day after with four hours, 39 minutes and five hours respectively. The five hours on the Sunday were climbing and Ks, but on the Saturday, we have the most structure we've seen so far with a few different types of efforts spread out throughout the ride. Starting with seven minutes at 80% of FTP, there are some alternating cadences with 30 seconds at 70 RPM and 20 seconds at 100 RPM, and this might even be standing sitting drills. The next lot of intervals sees Seb hit 100% of FTP for the first time since he got back on the bike. Well, other than this week's sprints. So notice we are six weeks in before this happens. Some might wait even longer. These intervals were two sets of 1 minute 20 at 100% of FTP, and then 1 minute 20 at 60% of FTP, and then 3.5 minutes at 65%, and then 3.5 minutes rest. There was a similar makeup of the next set, where it was 1 minute 20 at 100% of FTP, 1 minute 20 of 60% of FTP, and then 10 minutes at 65%. And finally, in the last hour of this nearly five-hour ride, there is four times eight minutes at 65% with rest at 40%. And this is one of the more interesting things I notice about Seb's training. And I could be way off because of the numbers, but doing sets of reps at 65% is something you will rarely see prescribed in amateur training. It only makes sense if your volume is so big that the intensity, including intensity over 55% of FTP, is carefully fed into a session as to not overload the athlete. 
which is a big takeaway for me as I've seen someone get knocked around by too much zone three in a long ride. So careful consideration when a rider is doing so much volume becomes more important. The amateur can probably absorb this better because they aren't maxed out on volume at lower intensities. On to the next week, which is week three of this base phase, and we're right back in the thick of it. Four out of the five hard days have intervals with a rest day and a recovery day in there to balance things out. On the Tuesday, it's a shorter day at three hours, 21 minutes, but he repeats the six-second sprints, doing less this time with two sets of four. On Wednesday, we see him doing what can only be described as a threshold day, completing 21 minutes in total at 95 to 100% of FTP. And this is split up into one five-minute effort at 95% and then a long interval hit type four session with two times, four minutes at 100%, two minutes at 70%, and then four minutes at 100%. The next day is an endurance day with an average intensity of 53%. And it sounds low at first, but it was the season's first 200-kilometer day. And that took him six hours and 49 minutes to round out 2020. And on New Year's Day was a recovery roll. The last two days of the week, the intensity stepped up a bit in the intervals. Some hit type 4 sessions, so 4 minutes at 88%, 2 minutes at 65%, 4 minutes at 88%. But more importantly, it was the first time in his campaign that he goes over 100% of FTP for any length of time. So completing three by three of one and a half minutes at 120% and then two minutes at 60%. And this gives a total of four and a half minutes at 120% per set and 13.5 minutes at 120% of FTP. And as 12 to 30 minutes at this level is the benchmark, he's on the lower side, which gives plenty of room to progress. In the fourth week of this base phase, Seb progresses overall volume nicely into the biggest week so far at nearly 26 hours and 723 kilometers, even with two days off the bike completely. So that's two six-hour rides and one almost six-hour ride, a four-hour ride and a two-hour ride. As for structured work, on two of the longer days, climbing is done between 60 and 70% of FTP, and this is easy to spot because the power really smooths out on most climbs. The first group of intervals comes on the Wednesday's four-hour ride and starts with six by six-second sprints, and this time with easy recovery between each one. Then it's more of these type four long intervals, or what I'm now calling over-under-over intervals. This time, they change to 12 minutes at 80%, five and a half minutes at 50%, and then 12 minutes at 80%, and he completes three of these combinations. And this is followed by a long endurance day. And here's a good time to mention the overload scheduling pattern I see that Seb uses. Timing of sessions matter, as it's thought that the timing of high intensity sessions during the week can influence overall adaptations. The general rules of thumb being complete recovery from HIT requires at least 48 hours, recovery from moderate intensity training requires 24 to 48 hours, and recovery from low intensity training may take up to 24 hours. When the goal is to overload, like Seb's week two to four, sprint intervals always follow rest or recovery days, and long endurance days follow interval days. This pattern occurs in the loaded weekends, but intensity is lower over both of these days. This way, recovery from hit is less than optimal and the goal is such that the adaptation effects will be delayed till a recovery period is programmed. 
So for example, on the weekend, we have a day with a warm-up of over under overs, four minutes, two minutes, four minutes, and then move into three by three, one and a half minutes at 120% and then two minutes at 60%, which is the same intervals and timing zone as a couple of weeks ago. And this is followed the next day by a six hour endurance ride with all climbing done at 70% of FTP. Then it's a rest week. Well, more like a lower volume week as it's still 17 hours with two recovery days and one rest day. There are still some efforts though. Actually, while most rides are shorter, they are harder as well. Take the Tuesday ride. It's a four and a half hour ride. It starts with some over, under, overs. No, hang hang on. This time it's over, unders, alternating between 85% and 60% for one hour and 20 minutes in total. Then later on, there's a 30-minute effort at 85%, and even later still, there's a 30-minute at 70%. The next day, Seb squeezes in two rides, one on the mountain bike and the other on the road, with over-unders again, this time alternating between 90% and 60% continuously for one hour, then two times 10 minutes at 70%, and four by four minutes at 90%. Lots of time working with zone three and four. And with that... There's no more intensity before the start of a team camp next week. There's still time to fit in two one-hour recovery rides and a five-hour ride with climbing done at 60%, but he would feel pretty fresh, but also has some weapons to unleash coming into the camp. And I'll tell you something, he's going to need it. There's a tough 10 days ahead. I can't say for sure how Jumbo Visma does their camps, but it's common practice to divide the team into groups of riders based on their specialization. Something like a climbers group, a sprinters group, and a classics group is pretty common. It's fair to say that Seb would be in the climbers group, but it doesn't stop them from doing sprints to kick off the camp. So on the first day of the camp, a Tuesday, everyone does six by 20 second all out sprints. On day two, it's a staircase workout on a hill with a couple of 10-second sprints to start before he gets into the session that goes like this. Five minutes at 95%, five minutes at 90%, five minutes at 100%, three minutes at 102%, and then three minutes at 120%. And then a steady ride for a total of five hours. And you might be interested to know that the coach tagged along for the first four hours, but hey, he was a pro in a past life, so if any staff member is going to ride, it would be him. The next day, it's a steady six hours on the bike with... 3,648 meters of climbing. Then it's a recovery roll. On Saturday, Seb does four and a half hours with three sets of under overs, eight minutes at 90% and rest at 40%, followed by six and a half hours and 200 kilometers on Sunday. And this gives him 30 hours on the bike for the week and 958 kilometers. A four hour step up from the biggest week so far. So this is a 15% increase. So not that bad considering 10% is a general rule of thumb. But of course, training age impacts your ability to absorb increased ramp rates over 7 to 14 days. This doesn't mean that it's still not hard though, because he is digging a hole for himself. And the digging isn't done just yet. The next day is Monday, and the team are in overload mode. No rest day here. So instead... They get four and a half hours, but it's not an all-out day. And when you start zooming in on the power output, you come across these efforts. Eight by four and a half minutes at 65% with two minutes rest, then 12 minutes at 80%, and then two by 30 second efforts. 
And it's not so clear what they are training by riding loops where the hard part, the four and a half minutes at 65% is uphill. And it's not until I checked other riders on the ride that something cool popped out. It's downhill training day. Well, it's listed as technical training by another teammate with an easy up on this loop and not sprinting, but active on the way down. Then after doing this eight times, Seb isolates a single downhill corner and practices it four times. Then to finish it off was an all out downhill ride, sprinting and high cadence to max out speed on the descent. And this was done three times. And I thought that was pretty cool and something you could definitely incorporate into your recovery rides. Then it's a light day before another overload and a January training camp would be incomplete without a long ride. But the first day of this final pair of overload days is two hours with under overs with four by 30 seconds at 115% and then three minutes at 90%. And while that is hard work when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't sound too stressful overall. And I agree. And that's why there's another three hours later on in the day with a 15 minute climb done at 80% and the rest of the climbs done at 60%. And just before camp is over, there's time for a long ride. The first seven-hour ride of the 2021 campaign. And this ride was done in the climbers group and it covered 227 kilometers with all climbs being done at 70% of FTP. And with that, the team camp is over. There's a full rest day on the cards and maybe because Seb lands in Andorra and it's snowing, I tried to check it, but I don't know. He jumps on Zwift and bangs out an hour, but then he spends the afternoon and the next day doing some cross-country skiing, a sport that he is not unfamiliar with growing up in Durango, Colorado, and having a dad called Dolph that coached the US National Nordic Skiing, cross-country and ski jumping teams from 1963 to 1972 would help you get into the sport from a young age. It might also explain why he's at home in the high mountains, where he says in Durango, it's difficult to get much lower than 1,600 meters above sea level, and most of the climbing is between 2,000 and 4,000 meters. Not long now, we're getting close, I promise. So after this 23-hour week, with some big days on the bike, he still has two weeks before his first race. Granted, that race, the UAE Tour, is at the end of the three weeks, so there's a full two weeks and then a lighter week. The first week has two light days, but no days off everything. There's a recovery ride and another cross-country ski, but he does one overload grouping that mixes it up from the two days back-to-back and he moves it to three days back-to-back-to-back-to-back, starting with a four-hour endurance ride with a 25-minute and 18-minute effort at 85%, where he alternates between 60 RPM and 90 RPM, So two minutes at 60 RPM and two minutes at 90 RPM. Then another four-hour day with more tempo and more cadence changes, 25 minutes at 85%, two minutes at 60 RPM, and then two minutes at 90 RPM, and then another 20 minutes doing that, another 25 minutes at 70% and 95 RPM. So not stressing the cardiovascular system too much with really intense efforts as he adjusts to the extra overload because the next day, is a seven-hour ride with climbing done at 60 to 70% of FTP. After a recovery day, he has another pair of back-to-back interval days, with the first day having higher-intensity intervals in a five-hour ride. 
So after a nice 45 minute warm up at 65%, he starts upping the intensity with a 12 minute effort at 70%. And then we get into more over unders. And I will say that over unders are a big feature of all GC climbers because they are mimicking race conditions. Well, this is my assumption anyway. It's rarely a steady state ride to the top of an important climb. So mixing up the cadence and intensity in training trains the mind as much as anything to handle the changing nature of riding in a group. Shorter surges are another way to get intensity in, but they are a bit more aggressive and we don't usually see these early on in the season. This day's over-unders are five times three minutes at 95% and then one minute at 50%. And then he rounds out the day with one hour and 20 minutes at 60%. The final day of this two-day overload is more over-unders spread throughout the ride. This time, the over-unders are slightly lower intensity with three times six minutes at 85% and then four minutes at 60%. But he mixes up the cadence as well with the 85% done at 50 RPM and the 60% done at 90 RPM before 20 minutes at 70% and repeating the same over-unders again. And now we come to the home stretch of this build to the UAE Tour, where the next week we start to see some race-focused intervals and the hardest ride yet. But the week actually starts with three hours on the mountain bike. And this must be a sole ride or the last mountain bike ride of the year. If you didn't know, Seb represented the US at under 23 level in mountain biking at the 2014 World Champs. He didn't get an amazing result in that race, and it really wasn't until he switched to the road that things started to click for him, but he did this all while studying at university, so there definitely is hope for late starters. But the serious work starts the next day, a four-hour ride with a bunch of work over FTP. After a nice warm-up effort of 10 minutes at 90%, he moves into some short intervals, two times, two of three minutes at 115%, and one and a half minutes at 60%, And this gives him a total of 12 minutes at 115%, the bare minimum you want to hit at this level. And then he has a three-minute hit out at 110% straight into over-unders of 10 times one minute at 65% and then one minute at 100%. Then, can you guess the next day's ride by now? Yes, it's a six-hour endurance ride with climbing done at 80% this time and then two days of two-hour rides, one in the mountains and the other on Zwift doing five-by-fives at 80% with four minutes easy between efforts. Before we hit the monster ride, a seven hour and six minute behemoth with 4,078 meters of climbing and a bunch of intervals. The thing with the intervals though is that they are done at 70%. But remember, I'm making an assumption here based on what's reported. What we do know is that he spent a grand total of two hours and 25 minutes riding at 70%. And at the same time, he was alternating his cadence between two and a half minutes at 55 RPM and two and a half minutes at 90 RPM. So the next day is completely off the bike before another hard ride to start the race week. It's a five hour ride with a couple of key features and a bunch of KOMs. Firstly, it starts with some warm up sprints, three times 10 seconds with 30 seconds rest. Then after a short rest, it's straight into 25 minutes at 80%. And then five minutes at 55 RPM, five minutes at 90 RPM. So he continues this low cadence work right up until race week, followed by a couple of 20-minute efforts at 80%. And then we see the hardest effort of the year after five hours of riding, and it's a 20-minute effort with what I think is 100% of FTP, 373 watts. And because it was between the altitude of 800 
1,200 meters. This power is down around 5% from an acclimated athlete, but either way, it's a hard effort and comfortably over six watts per kilogram. After that, the rest of the week is about going into the UAE tour a bit fresher. So a three hour ride and a one hour ride, a travel day and a two hour ride with one minute and 30 second openers. Then a practice time trial day with three by eight minutes at 100% and one minute at 60%, finishing each one with a 20 second sprint. In the race, Seb has a solid showing in the mostly flat stages. On the climbing stage, stage five, his teammate gets up the road and wins, while Seb rolls in for seventh behind the chasers. The week totals 25 hours of racing with stages, averaging intensities between 50 and 70%, but mostly stays around the 60% mark. Seb finishes 16th on GC, but with a teammate coming fourth, we'll never know what the plan was. But either way, this is only the beginning of the 2021 season. There are lots of stage races to come, including the big ones. It's always fascinating to geek out on pro rider training. There are always some surprises, whether it's shock and awe at the volume they do or don't ride, the low percentage of intensity compared to overall volume, or simply the fact that they get up nearly every day and work on their craft. Thank you, Seb Kuss, for putting this info on Strava. Feel free to correct me on anything I've said and ride well in the remaining races of the year. The science of fast. The science of fast. The segment of the show where it's 100% science and 100% fast, meaning you'll get fast because sometimes these segments do actually drag out quite long. But this time, consistency and its context. I got a question from a new athlete and thought it might help clarify my position on consistency because I've always got this feeling people take consistency as grinding all the time and may not be seeing the gains they want because of it instead of the way I see consistency. But let's start with the question. So the past 12 months, well, six at least, I've been training in a block style, as you call it, training week in and week out at a sustainable, consistent volume and intensity without down or off weeks. Have I been training too much or am I barking up the wrong tree? To which I answered, when talking about consistency, it's important to know that consistency is king, but context is God. And the context determines the strategy for load distribution. So I'll talk about that first. When looking how load is distributed, it's common in the sports world to periodize training. And this helps break down training into measurable parts. It's a system that helps plan the load over a period of time, building to goal events or targets. And this is done in blocks of training that focus on specific parts of physiology and performance and build on each other. This is where we see the introduction of progression and overload into the planning of training. And these are the idea that training and periodization work off a load progression to stress the system. To make gains in performance, it runs on an idea called the general adaptation syndrome, discovered in the 1930s by a guy called Hans Selye. Selye, Selye. Today, it is more commonly called the stress recovery adaptation principle, and these three stages are the basis of all training adaptations to training stress. Basically, it's the idea of growth occurring in an overreach and recovery period. And this is where consistency becomes important to maintain progression over time. This is where it's important to not miss three days of training in a row because you will need to take a break at some point. 
and you want to make sure you maximize the training in the stress part of the cycle. Now, there are a few different ways to approach periodization, but they all require rest. And this is where we can talk about stress and natural painkillers. Hans Selly discovered that doing something, anything that shocked or caused pain triggered a stress response. And this response can be good or bad. If it's good, it helps you adapt to the stress and get stronger as a result. Bad, if the amount of stress is too large or lasts too long, the body fails to adapt. And Sally called this the exhaustion stage. Today, this is referred to as chronic stress. Rather than signaling to repair and then subsiding, elevated inflammation and cortisol linger at toxic levels. Basically, the body breaks. The trouble is there are no hard and fast rules when it comes to how much recovery or rest is needed. A periodized system is just that, a system that helps us manage the dose of training, but the response is not as clear. It helps structure the work and build a clear progression, but on its own, it will not result in a guaranteed peak or result. This is why you can start a program with the, say, three on and one off cycle, but you need a training process that supports this. And the training process helps manage this, like matching the volume and intensity to you and your chosen events and managing fatigue through qualified and quantified means. Through this monitoring of physiological responses via modeled metrics and getting feedback, I've seen many variations of how people recover from certain loads. Anecdotally, even if the time to repair and adapt is different, it seems to hold true that if your body sees an opportunity to shut down, it will take it. Now we come to where you've been the last six months to a year, and maybe you haven't been supporting the work on the bike with enough rest off the bike. Not that you've been training too much, it's more like resting too little. Saying this, I haven't found anything in the data to suggest a clear plateau, and your power seems to be progressing well. We have to be aware of when a plateau happens and make decisions accordingly. Any time off the bike in the last 12 months seemed to have come with off-the-bike stress. In many ways, all stress is the same to your body. My plan is to bring the load down to get you rested and reset before we build again, and then we will start with scheduled rest periods to see the impact and then take it from there. And that's it. That's all I got. That wraps up the show. If you're interested in more detail on science and coaching, then become a member of the Semi-Pro Plus membership. Details and a link to purchase are in the show notes below. And with that... Ride Better Faster is written, hosted, and scored by me, Damien Roos. Until next time, ride well. 